know, before we get in the Word, I thought the scripture that popped into my head as Pastor was speaking there. Um, comes out of Isaiah 40, verse 15. Isaiah 40, verse 15 says this. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare unto him? He's the workman that melts a graven image and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and cast it with silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot and he seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circles of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretch out the heaven as the curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in that brings the princes to nothing and makes the judges of the earth a vanity. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that brings out their host by number and he calls them all by name and by the greatness of his might for that he is strong in power and not one fails. And so this is like a drop in the bucket to the Lord. We are experiencing something. We, we're feeling it. We're, 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 we're kind of... But to the Lord, the Lord has seen kingdoms come and kingdoms go for many years. For many years. And the... God's people have been in the midst of so many changes of power in human history. But guess what? We're still here. The church is still here. The church has survived so much and will still continue to survive until he comes back for his people. Amen? He's coming back. And guess what? When he comes back, we will still be here. Praise God. And so I like that part where Peter says, Lord, behold their threats. Behold their threats. And he said, give us boldness to speak your name. So I believe that in this age that we're living in, 
We're nervous about our liberties. We're nervous about them taking away things from us. And that is the prayer, and that's my heart cry. Lord, behold their threats. Give me boldness. Give me power to continue to witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So Philippians, um, written by Paul in jail for being bold and speaking the name of Jesus with boldness, writes this fourth chapter, which is a beautiful chapter. Probably some people in the church, probably the, one of the church's most favorite chapters. A lot of, of verses that we quote often come out of this chapter. How many have ever quoted, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All powerful verses that come out of Philippians chapter 4. Um, you know, there's many that like to compare Paul's letters to the letters of Revelation um, given to the church by the Lord. Um, and, you know, some people, some Bible commentators um, compare the book of Philippians with the church at Philadelphia, the faithful church. And um, I thought it would be fitting just to read from that letter tonight real fast. In chapter, um, you could find the letter to Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. I'd like to encourage you as the church to read the book of Revelation. Most people think that they can't understand it. I don't agree with that. If the book of Revelation was given to the church to be read, which is what he says... There's blessing on those who hear it and read it. It's the only one of the Bible books that actually has a blessing in it. It says if you read it, you'll be blessed. I don't think the Lord would give us something that was too hard to understand and command us to read it. The problem is, is that man confuses it. Religion confuses it. Religion confuses the Word of God. You know, some of you have come from a Catholic background. You know, the early church, after, after, after about the 300 AD, after the church started to, you know, move into a different era of time, they kept the word of God away from the people. They wanted to keep the word, you know, to themselves. And God has never wanted to keep the word from his people, ever. Amen. You know, you've heard me say before that, you know... Um, when they were translating the Bible into the English language, he said, let the boy that, ha that has the plow know the scriptures more than you, as he was pointing to a clergyman. God has always wanted the word of God in the hands of the people, amen? And it's when the word of God is strong in the hands and in the hearts of the people, the people are strong. And when the people are strong, the nation is strong. And I really believe with all my heart, what we're experiencing today in the White House is a famine of God's word in the land. It's a famine of God's word. 
But I'm encouraged because anytime there's a famine of God's word, there's a little man that's all of a sudden cleaning the temple and all of a sudden he discovers, what are these things? And the word of God is found and it's restored to the people. And I believe we're living in a day where God's word is gonna come stronger and mightier than ever in the hearts of, of people, man. You know, in the 50s, you know, after the roaring 20s, when we had all the debauchery of the 20s, in the 30s, and then World War II, then in the 50s, God brought an incredible move called the fundamentalist movement. And the fundamentalist movement was a movement of the church returning back to the pure doctrines of God's word. Amen? And I really feel that's what we, we need to bring that back. We need to bring back a fundamentalist movement where the church returns back to the pure doctrines of God's word. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. So look at this here. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that has the key of David, and he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and you have not, not denied my name. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but they are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because you have kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth behold I come quickly hold that fast which thou hast that no man can take thy crown him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Amen. Amen. I receive that tonight, Lord. Thank you for that encouragement. So... Paul writing to the Philippians, which some compare it to the church of Philadelphia. Starting in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know, the Bible speaks of many different types of crowns crown of righteousness, a martyr's crown. Um, you know, when each one of us get to heaven, 
when we're either resurrected or translated and raptured like Enoch was, we will be given a crown. But the Bible tells us that there's only one thing I want to do with that crown. I don't want a crown so that I can wear it. I want a crown so I can throw it at his feet. Amen? That's the only reason why I want. To me, that's like, some people say, you know, they, oh, I can't wait to heaven and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? That's some, some people say, man, I can't wait to heaven to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Me? I can't wait to get to heaven because I just want to, I just want to throw that crown down, man. I just want to throw it down at his feet. That's that kind of like that, that high moment that I'm waiting for. It's just to be able to take that crown and throw it down at his feet. Amen. And Paul talks about a crown. He says that them, the joy, the church at Philadelphia is his joy and his crown. Because Paul paid a great price for the church. Amen. Paul paid a great price for the church. We have this Bible in our hands because of the courage that the Lord gave him. So in verse 2, he calls out a couple of sisters in the church. And he says, I beseech Eudeus and I beseech Sintite or Sintich that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Some people, I heard one preacher say, I beseech odious and soon touchy. Odious. Odious is an old word that means to be repulsive. And then you've got, so you've got the repulsive one, and then you've got the soon touchy. How many know we got a few of those in church, amen? Anybody, we got, we got some soon touchies in here tonight. We got some repulsive ones in here tonight. You know, repulsive ones are, you know, the, sometimes they just kind of grate on your nerves. You soon touchies. Paul says, I entreat you, verse 3, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And that's the key. How does, how does the repulsive and the, and the sensitive, how does the brash person and the very sensitive person come together in the same house? How do they get along? Well, they become of the same mind, the mind of the Lord. And verse 3 says, I entreat thee also, True yoke fellows, all right? Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So he's appealing to the church to help these ladies. Obviously, these were ladies that helped in the gospel. You know, I don't know why people have a problem with women working in the church. Paul always honored women in the church, in his letters, you know? He always did. He always brought honor to their name, praise God. Ron, it's good to see you tonight, brother. I love you, man. And he said, uh, he said, help them out. Because they labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also. How many have ever heard of the great church father, Clement? There he is right here in the scriptures. You know, the early church fathers are powerful because if you take all of the actual literal 
writings that we still have in parchment of the New Testament, and you take the writings of the letters of the early church fathers like Clement, Polycarp, those type of guys, there's a perfect bridge. There, there is nothing missing. From the time that the letters to the churches were written, there's no gap in history. They say that there's probably, there's only just a few verses that are actually not even quoted in the collective writings of the early church fathers. Brother Clark over there, I can see you, your brain is turning in there because you know a lot about this kind of stuff. But seriously, the, the world out there tries to tell us that the Bible is not real or we don't have evidence for the truth of it. That's a lie. That's ignorance. This Bible is so real and true, and we have scholarly work that proves it so. Now, we also have some scholarly work that tries to disprove it, but there are good men. They have no problems with the, in the, the clarity and the truth of God's word that it has been preserved all through church's history, even though the devil has tried to destroy it, amen? Now, so there we have one of the early church fathers in Paul's writing there with Clement also and with other of my fellow laborers. So Clement was a fellow laborer with the apostle Paul. Fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life, amen? amen? Praise God. You know, when I first was a teenager, I used to pray all the time, oh God, please write my name back in the book of life. I used to think, where Jeremy Moore was at, I used to think, you know, when you take an eraser and you rub a paper so many times, it leaves a hole in the page, and I'd be like, oh God, please don't rub my name out. You know, I just always thought, man, he's, he's, he's wrote my name in, he's erased it, he's wrote my name in, he's erased it, he's wrote my name in. But, you know, the book of life is real. What is the book of life, you might ask? Well, let's talk about it for a second. Uh, the best place for the book of life would probably be in Revelation again. Let's go over there to the, uh, to the back end of the book. And, um, and that'll be, uh, let's see. Which page, which page, Pastor? 13, 6, 17, 6. What? There we go, 2012. That's the one I'm looking for, 2012. All right, 2012, and let's start at, uh, well, let's start at 12. 2012, y'all there say amen? amen? And I do this because we've got mature Christians in the building, and we've got some new Christians in the building, amen? So we all need to go to the Word. If, that's why I do this. Now, it says in Revelation 20, verse 12, it says, Now I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So it doesn't matter what your reputation is. The guy at working at the Marathon gas station or the guy sitting in the high seats of Congress, small or great, are going to stand before Almighty God. Amen? And the books were opened. And another book was opened. So we got two things there. We got books plural and we got book singular. All right? So the Bible tells us in the Psalms that 
everything we do is recorded in the books. Everything. Everything we do is written down. A record is kept. There's a giant hard drive in heaven. And it says here, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, listen to this. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. According to what? Their works. So what are in the books? Your works, what you do, how you live your life. Now look at this, and then it says, and then the sea gave up the dead which were in it. You know, when you were, Pastor and I were sailors, and you know, if there, are, there is a maritime funeral. You know, if, if a man lost his life at sea, we don't carry that body around till we get back to port. You have a, you have a, a maritime burial. And you commit that body into the ocean. And that happened many times. There's a lot of bodies down there. A lot of bones at the bottom of the ocean. But guess what? They're going to give up. They're dead. Just like the earth is. And it says, And also, death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. In verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God, those that believe on the name of Jesus, their names are in the book of life but if your name is blotted out from the book then you'll be judged by the books and you don't want that now there's controversy some people say well does your name get written in the book when you get saved or does it get blotted out of the book There are scriptures that talk about written in and blotted out. The Bible says that Jesus, from the foundations of the world, was crucified. For God so loved the whole world that he gave. I believe, honestly, that it is God's intention for every human being that was ever born to be saved. But there are those that will not be saved. There, and he knows it. He knows they're not going to be saved. Me and my wife, we were talking, there's a hard scripture in the Bible that talks about vessels of, that were actually like Pharaoh, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I can't understand that, why God did not give Pharaoh a chance to repent. But I just have to lean into his providence because Paul says, who are we the clay, to question the potter. If God wants to make somebody and put them on this earth to just completely be used of the devil, which is that's what will happen with the Antichrist, 
then that is his choosing, amen? amen? And to me, I'm not to question that. I'm just not to question it. So there's a book of life that belongs to the righteous. That's where the righteous are. Those, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life in other places because everybody whose name is in that book is with Jesus forever. Now, a lot of people get confused and they think that the church is going to go through this verse 12 through 15. You're not there. This is a judgment of the wicked. This is a judgment of the second resurrection of the dead. Remember, there's two, I've talked about this. There's two resurrections, a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the wicked. This is a resurrection of the wicked that comes at the end of the thousand-year tribulation and these people, because they were not in the book of life, the books were opened and they were judged according to those books and cast into a lake of fire. So it's, it's, very, it's very important for you to know that as a church, you are not at what's called the great white throne judgment. The church is what's at the judgment seat of Christ. There's a judgment seat of Christ and a white throne judgment. Two different judgments. But we're not condemned at the judgment seat of Christ. We are rewarded for our works that are done for him. At the white throne judgment, they are condemned for their works that were done for the devil. So, that's a little, little, little breakdown there. Totally off topic from Philippians, but book of life got us there. So here we go. Back to Philippians then. So verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, to rejoice is to, when you retool, what are you doing? When you retool something. You're, you're, you're making that tool effective again. To rejoice is to stir up the joy that has already been placed there by the Holy Spirit when you were born again. You have joy in you. The problem is, is that sometimes I suppress the joy because I complain instead of praise. Amen? I moan and I whine instead of just rejoicing. And, you know, you can, you can stir up, I call it, this is a 44 Magnum, man, Philippians 4.4. 4. You know what a gospel bullet is? It's the only bullet that makes dead men alive. This is like a 44 Magnum for the spirit to rejoice. Joy is key for the believer. Joy is key for the believer in these last days. When the world is freaking out over here and we're all praising. I felt joy tonight in tonight's worship. I felt breakthrough tonight. You know, I felt, I felt a, really good in praising the Lord. I was giving it my all because no matter what's happening, I choose to praise the Lord. Amen. And you know, pastor's kind of right. You know, church should have been a little bit more fuller tonight. Because you know what we're going to need in these last days? We're going to need more than a Sunday snack and a Wednesday, you know, little here little there when times get tough you're going to be seeing a lot more of me amen and i hope to see a lot more of you 
Praise God. Because I need you to help me rejoice in the Lord always. So rejoice. Look at this. We talked last week about the difference between happiness and joy. And uh, I want to show you something, some things that bring, how do you rejoice? Well, Psalms 19, verse 8 gives us one. Here's a key. Here's what, here's what helps you rejoice or bring back the joy that is deposited in you. Psalms 19, verse 8. Say amen when you're there. Look at this. How do you rejoice? Verse 8 says in Psalms 19 that the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. How do you rejoice? Bible, man. The Bible. You know, you just start reading your Bible, it will, re, it will rejoice the soul. It will stir up the rejoicing. It will bring that joy. You feel it bubble up. The amount of times my wife's come running into the room just giggling and laughing and happy about my God, I can't believe Corinthians says this. <laughs> I've read it over so many times. The Bible makes you laugh, makes you happy. It's real. Rejoices the heart, man. Rejoices the heart. You know why it rejoices the heart? Because the statues of the Lord, they're right. You know, people are like, what's right? What's really truth? What's right? What's going on? Hey, you know what? I can't answer. We sat here and talked about it before praise and worship tonight. All the different things that the senators are talking about and what's, what, what ordinance should they act on and what precedence should they have. And, you know, how many people have been up and down like a roller coaster this entire year? Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, even since November 4th, up, we're, oh, he's going to get in. No, he's not going to get in. He's going to get in. He's not going to get in. He's not. I don't know what's right. I really can honestly say, just like Pastor, I don't know what's right. But praise God, I do know what is right that rejoices the heart, this word. This word will never make you feel like you're on a roller coaster. This word will never make you feel, oh, oh, I don't know. No, if you're born again by the Holy Spirit that lives within you, when you read this word, it goes down into your soul and it steadies you, man. It is an anchor of the soul, better than a Bob Seger tune, like a rock. It steadies you, man, because it is right. And when the whole world doesn't know, when they're screaming like Pontius Pilate, what is truth? Well, Pontius Pilate, you're looking at what truth is, brother. You're staring truth right in the face. We have a personal relationship with truth. So, he says in verse 5, back to our text. So, we're rejoicing in the Lord always. We're helping those in the church that are fellow laborers. We're not being brash or soon irritated or soon touchy. Now, here's the secret to gain the peace of God. Let your moderation be known unto all men. 
for the Lord is at hand. Or let your gentleness be known unto all men. For the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall what? Keep your hearts. What keeps your heart and mind? The peace of God keeps your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus said, peace I give to you. People are trying to find peace in the world. You can't find peace in the world. Peace comes from Jesus. He gives it to us. And he says, the peace I give to you, the world can't take it away, amen? He gives the peace, the world can't take it. They can't take it away, so don't let them rob your peace. Now, the key to having the peace of God then is first of all, be careful for nothing. Pastor's favorite scripture out there on the wall in the foyer, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is the key to worrying about your car breaking down or your mortgage payment due or you're not having enough food in the cupboard? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, man. You know, Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. The key to to quenching our fears of not having enough is to seek first the kingdom of God. And how do you do that? You be careful for nothing. You know, I used to hate it when I went to England. There was a phrase always over there, and they'd always say, take care, take care, love, take care. And I'm like, well, the Bible tells me not to take care. The Bible tells me not to be careful for nothing. It also says be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing. You know, we're not to have the care. And one of the reasons why we're not to have the care is because Peter tells us to cast the care on him for he cares for you. And he has providence over our life. He knows what we need even when we don't know what we need. That's why I always like to pray. I don't always do it, but when I do do it, it works. The key to solving anxiety is to make your request known unto God. Like Barry was talking about tonight. Hey, we, how many here have prayed for this election? Have we made our request known unto God? Then we should rest in that. We should rest in that we made our request made known unto God. Period. That's the cure. Now, if you didn't make your request known unto God, if you're not praying, if you're not asking, then you should have reason to worry because you've not petitioned God. But Paul says here, if we make our request made known unto God, then the peace of God, which passes what? All understanding. I don't understand what's going on right now, but the peace of God that is in my heart, because I have asked, passes all of that. Amen? It's above all that. And what's it do? It guards my heart and my mind. It guards my heart from unbelief, and it guards my mind from confusion. 
The peace of God guards my heart from unbelief, which the Bible says is the sin that so easily besets you. How do people go from one moment being totally on fire for God and then all of a sudden being in a crack house? I don't think it's like all of a sudden. You don't come here one Sunday and then all of a sudden. It could be a process. Maybe not. But the key is, how does someone fall so far away from God? The sin that so easily besets you is unbelief. Somewhere along the line, they got some stinking thinking and something happened and they started turning what they really believed in. Amen? Because our heart is the, it's, it's the compass, man. It's, the Bible says, out of the heart proceed the issues of life. So, a couple of things here on the prayer of supplication. I like the breakdown here. He says, prayer, supplication, and with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You know, there's a protocol in prayer. I've even found myself changing the way I actually ask God. Because sometimes in, in the heat of the moment, I might just say, Lord, do that. Like he's like a servant or something. Lord, would you do this? You know, you just kind of say it, you know. Or Lord, would you change that? You don't mean any disrespect by it. It just kind of comes out of your mouth because you're in the heat of the moment. You're just crying out. But I'll tell you what. When I, when I, I, I retract what I say and I said, Lord, I'm praying to you and I ask that you do this. Something powerful when you use that word ask when you're, when you're praying to the Lord because Jesus told us to ask, amen? You know, there's something powerful when my Ethan comes and asks me if he can have a cookie. It makes me want to give him a cookie, amen? And I just feel the peace of God when I ask like that. Um, you know, there is a, uh, I kind of got off, my, lost my train of thought there thinking about my son and cookies. Maybe I'm getting hungry. Um, but, you know, just changing the way we, we, you know, he is the most high God. You know, and we can't just speak flippant to him. Like we can just say, oh, do this, would you, God? Would you do this for me? No, 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 no. There's protocol. Don't believe the naysayers that say that God doesn't want to hear what your needs are. Oh, don't ask God for that. That's too small for God. One guy said, son, everything you bring to God is small. Everything. Oh, I can't bring that to God. That's too small. Hey, everything you bring to God is small. We just read that in Isaiah 40, didn't we? So, there's a prayer. The prayer there, the feeling I'm getting there when I read that, at, when I look up the definition of that, there's, there's, a, there's a, a continuance, a fervency, a, you know, not just kind of a, oh, you know, like a pressing, a pressing, always pressing, like the woman um, that Jesus referred to. You know, there's a constant, gee, gee. And then supplication is the, is the it's the, it's the list. It's the actual list. There's nothing wrong with prayer lists. The, the list is there. You bring the, the petitions or the actual lists. 
You know, I heard one preacher say, before you go to the Lord in prayer, actually kind of write out a little bit of a contract. Write out the things that you're requesting and, you know, and maybe find you a Bible verse and, 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 and why you maybe feel like you've got grounds to ask for that and, you know, something to help your faith a little bit in asking that. You know, different things. There's, so you have the supplications or the list. I, when I think of supplication, I think of the word as a supplement. What is a supplement? When we take vitamins and supplements, what is it? A supplement is something that is giving you what you don't have. Amen? That's what a supplement is. So that's what a supplication is. Asking God for something you don't have. So, but then, so we've got kind of the, the fervency We've got the, the prayer list, but then we do it with thanksgiving. And when I see that word thanksgiving, not only am I saying, oh, thank you, Lord, I believe that I receive it. But when I read that, I'm feeling that we have an attitude of gratitude. Amen. You know, when you're helping the poor, you that work in the benevolence wing over here, you know the ones that have a grateful heart. God loves it when people have an attitude of gratitude. And it's a real sounding for those that are close to salvation and those that are not. The ones that are grateful for what you do in there. So, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So Paul had just got done speaking to us about the secret of the peace of God or the cure for anxiety. Now he begins to tell us what's the secret of the presence of God? What's the secret of having God's presence? When I come into this sanctuary, anybody ever walked in here alone? You feel his presence, don't you? That's what I love about this church. I felt it the very first time I ever walked in here. Never been here before, but I felt the presence of God. This could be debatable. It's just my opinion. There's many reasons why we experience the presence of God in this sanctuary like we do. But I think one of the reasons why we experience it is we don't have a lot of things that are contrary to verse 8 in this sanctuary. I know churches where their sanctuary is more like a community hall. Super Bowl parties, March Madness tournaments, you know, beer commercials, popping bud, let's drink beer. It's it's like in the sanctuary. Girls running around half naked. You know, you, I mean, when you watch sports, and you're going to get commercials that defile verse 8. I don't know how people do that, personally. You know? 
But I'll tell you what, if you go to those places, you won't feel what you feel when you walk in here. Because there's a holiness here. There's a, there's, you know, I remember one time I was watching a YouTube video on there in the back of the Mac. I was trying to get some instruction on a, on a, some audio stuff. And it, I just, I was watching it and sometimes I'll, I put my speak, I put my headphones on, you know, so it's just in my ears. I don't want to, and it, it wasn't on. For some reason it would start blaring through the computer and that, Man, I just instantly felt greedy. Like, ah, I should turn that off, man. Because I could feel it jacking up the atmosphere in here, man. You know, and I didn't want the world pushing stuff out of that computer and tainting the glorious presence that we feel in this place. Amen? And, um, you know, because there's a, there's a presence here. And we don't, can't, we don't have to just experience that here. We can have that with us wherever we go. And, and the key to experiencing the presence, or you hear Bill Johnson and different people talk about practicing the presence of God. Well, how do you practice the presence of God? Well, you do verse 8. You know, my daughter says, Dad, can I watch this film? Well, how do I know we can watch that film? Well, verse eight's a great is great censorship. <laughs> Verse 8 is a great censorship guide. And that's really the problem that we have with all the things that we see in the earth with, with violence. And, you know, people are trying to want to take our guns away because people are violent. People aren't violent because we have guns. Okay? People are violent because... Have you ever seen some of these video games that they have now? You know, things like... Grand Theft Auto and stuff, they actually teach kids to kill. And there's no censorship. It's ridiculous. So, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, things that are pure, lovely, of a good report, in other words, full of faith. Think on these things. Verse 9. For those things which you have both learned, what things? The things in verse 8, those things you have learned, received, heard, and seen. Let's say that together. Learn, received, heard, and seen. I like to think of it this way. Things that are heard are received, and things that are seen are learned. You know, an apprentice, you know, people may ask me, you know, well, do you and pastor have a lot of one-on-one time? Does he, like, disciple you all the time? Do you have private meetings? And No. No, not really. I was with my dad for 15 years. We've hardly ever spent time together, like one-on-one. But everything that I've learned was not in a classroom. Everything I learned was what I saw. It's what I've seen. It's what I've watched. You know, an apprentice learns by watching. That's what Paul's saying here. You know, you learn by observation. And you receive by hearing, amen? We receive the word of God by hearing. So I just like how that learned, received, heard, seen, amen? So all those things that you've 
seen in me, what does he say? Do. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Now, if you do those things, then what's it say? The God of peace shall be with you. That's his presence. So we got the God of peace in us by doing verse five through seven, and we got the God of peace around us by doing what's in verse eight and nine. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And I think that's a good place to stop, Pastor. If that's all right. It's almost 8.30. Amen? I think that's good. Praise God. Can you all get something out of that tonight? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Another good teaching. Amen. You're better for being here tonight and hearing this word. It uh, enlarges our tent. Is something I haven't heard preached in a while, but mm. we're to enlarge our tent for more people to come in. We're glad you guys were here tonight. Keep the faith. We heard a good teaching, plus we heard a word of encouragement from Lee, and we're going to live on that right now. That's what we're going to live on right now. So let's all stand and receive the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Let's be thankful for a second. Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you right now, Lord. Thank you for pointing that out to us tonight, Lord. If we're not thankful, then we're not anything, Lord. So we just received that word tonight. And we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Forever faithful you are, Lord. Your faithfulness to the valleys, to the mountains, everywhere in between, your faithful God. So, Lord, we just ask you to take care of those sheep that belong to you tonight. Let their name be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we thank you for that and the opportunity to come and be in your presence. And, yes, we do agree there is a presence of the Lord in this place. So the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.